All right. Good morning, Faith Church. What's going on, everybody? Hey, welcome to the house. Welcome, everybody, to our Florence campus. It's good to have you guys here. Can we show some love and welcome all of our Faith Church family in Lawrenceburg, all of our Faith Church family in the Shoals, and everybody else watching online, if this is your first time with us, welcome, welcome. We're so glad that you're here or tuning in. If this is your home, man, welcome home. It's good to have you guys this week and as we celebrate as a family. Come on, we say it every week that we believe that Jesus, he's the hope of the world. So whoever you are, whatever you're going through, your issue, your hurt, your heartache, or your habit, we believe if you open up your life to Jesus, it'll be the greatest decision you ever made. How many people already know that's true? Come on. Well, I want to jump right in with the question. I want us to think about this for a minute. How does life change happen? How do we as individuals, how do we experience life change? What do we do? What does it look like? Now, first of all, I think I'm making an assumption, but I think it's a fair assumption that probably all of us in this room in Lawrenceburg and Shoals, that probably there's an area in our life that we want to improve. There's some things we're doing that we want to stop doing. There's some things we know we should be doing that we're not doing. Maybe it's in our health, maybe it's in our finances, maybe it's in our attitude, maybe it's in our character. Like I think all of us on some level, I think it's fair to say that there are some things and some areas we want to change. The question is, how do we experience change? What do we do to experience that life change? Well, regardless of who you look to or who you listen to or what you read, whether it's secular or religious, like you span the spectrum if you talk to people, it pretty much comes down to a couple ways of how we experience life change. If you want to experience life change in your health, in your attitude, in your relationships, in your life, there's a couple ways that that happens. Number one is new information. Everybody say new information. At some point, you have to come to this place where you get information maybe you didn't have before, and it kind of informs you and inspires you or shows you where you need to change. Maybe you step on the scale for the first time and got a number you didn't anticipate and thought, I need to do something about that, right? Or you go to a doctor and you get some blood work and something is high, sugar's low, your cholesterol's high, and that new information kind of inspires you. You need to do something different. You need to change. I'll give you... Um, a prime example in my own life that happened literally just this week. Um, anybody here got a sweet tooth? Anybody in Shoals, Lawrenceburg? Wave at me if you got some, a sweet tooth. Uh, you may not know this about me, but I got just a little bit of a sweet tooth. Lots of things I enjoy that I shouldn't. And one, it's kind of crazy, is I like licorice. And there's a reason besides, I know some of you don't. Some of you, listen, you like you. I like what I like. That's, that's the thing. We live in a free country. Well, anyways. So uh, I like licorice, but specifically, I like a specific kind. I like the Twizzlers, cherry, the peel. Come on. Where's my Twizzler, people? Thank you. Thank you. So here's the thing, though. Here's probably back in the day what got me on board is while I like a lot of sweets, somewhere along the line, someone told me that licorice is good for you, or at least it's not as bad as other candies. So like I'm gobbling this stuff up thinking like this isn't as bad as a Snickers bar. So just this week, my son, someone had given him a bag and he brings it in my office. He's like, dad, I don't want this. Would you like to have this? I'm like, well, sure. Cause I like, you know, I like licorice. I'm trying to watch what I eat, but that's good for you. <laughs> and so I turned, I've never checked. Like if we go on vacation, just side note, I buy a family size of Twizzlers and eat it on vacation. Like that's just what I do. For the first time ever this week, I flipped the bag over and looked at the nutritional information. Someone lied to me. 110 calories per piece, worse, 26 carbs in every single piece. That's new information. Well, I thought, I got to quit eating this stuff by the bag. So second way that you experience life change isn't just new information, but probably more important is new application. 
Because it doesn't matter if you get new information and don't apply it to your life. Information without application is, is useless, right? I would like to tell you that I did that, but I didn't. I still ate the bag. Wait, there was reasoning behind it. My thought was if I eat it and get it out of the house, then it's not here later to tempt me. Listen, you justify your sin your way. I'll justify my sin my way. But here's, this is why I share this really is, is we get new information. We realize, you know, I need to change. There's areas I need to adjust. By the way, if you don't know of any areas, ask your spouse. They have a list. Like, this is where I need to change. This is where I need to grow. This is what I need to do different in my life. We get new information, then we decide new applications. Starting Monday, I'm going to do this. I'm going to adjust the way I eat. I'm going to adjust the way I do this. I'm going to adjust the way I talk to my spouse, the way I handle my kids. Is we decide we're going to do something different. We're going to apply the information that we learn. And this is not really new information. Whether you get the information from counselors or life coaches or you read the Bible, you listen to a message, a friend gives you some kind of counseling information or a good idea, starts with information, goes to the application. However, where it breaks down for all of us is the application. Is we recognize there are some things we need to do. However, let's be honest, how many people know here in this room and all of our campuses that application is really the hardest part? We decide we want to do it, but we find it's very hard to do. While God has given humanity this incredible ability called free will that can take you places and cause you to do things that many others can't do, God has given us a tenacity and a strength. However, at some point, let's just be honest, how many people realize that there is a limit to your ability that no matter how hard you try, sometimes you just just can't change. Wave at me if you've ever had trouble changing. Like That's all of us. So the question is, how do we change? It's not just new information and it's not new application because all of us have that. But yet here many of us are in the same habits, in the same struggles, and in the same situations and seasons that we've been in forever. And so what is it that takes us from where we are to where we want to go and where we need to be? What gets us there? Well, if it's not something internal that's in us, what I want to say today is possibly it's something external. And as we get into this, today I want to talk about the power of the box. Everybody shout the box. Come on, all of our campuses, one, two, three, the box. We've been having this conversation. We started last week about the box. What is the box? The box is an icon. It's an item that we find in the Old Testament described. It was a box called the Ark of the Covenant. Ironically, I started this message last week and I mentioned the movie Raiders of the Lost Ark and uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. It was on last night. Siri is now following me on television. It's so crazy. But if you're new to church or new to spiritual things, the Ark was this ornamental box about four feet long, two foot wide and two foot high. Had a, it was wooden overlaid with gold and it had an entirely gold lid on top called the mercy seat. God gave Moses instructions on how to build this as part of their worship, that they were portable. They didn't have a place yet. When they came out of Egypt, God gave the nation of Israel, his people, the law. Part of the law was how they were to worship God. And part of that worship was build the box. Build a tabernacle that every place you go, every time you set up camp, wherever you find yourself, put the box in the center of the people and make it central to your worship. In fact, God said this to Moses in Exodus. He said, have the people of Israel build me a holy sanctuary, a tabernacle, a portable church. So why? Watch this. Why? So I can live among them. God said, I want to be where you are and I want you to be where I am. At the end of the day, God wants connected to his creation. God wants you. And so God said, this, this box is going to be central to who you are. And so ultimately, the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of the Box, 
was a visible reminder of God's tangible presence. That every time they saw the box, there's the presence of God. And if so if they were going into battle, if they were moving from point A to point B, the box would go in front of them and they knew God is with us. And if God is with us, God is for us. And if God is for us, who can be against us? And so over a season of history, they learned to depend on the presence of God. And last week we talked about pretty incredible battle that happened between the nation of Israel, God's people, and this nation called the nation of the Philistines. And so they came head to head. They were opposing sides and they come head to head and they get in a fight. But Israel's like, don't sweat it. We got the box. We have the box, which represents God's presence. And so we're all good. And what we found out last week was they carried the box into battle and they lost. They got the brakes beat off them by the Philistines. And people just had to wonder like, hey, what happened? How did we lose? How, how can you lose a fight when God is on your side? And what we found out in this conversation we had to begin the series is that, that God didn't really abandon them. God, or they abandoned God. That they didn't have the presence of God. They treated the presence of God casually and therefore they become a casualty. That as people, we are ultimately still in the New Testament that we should desire and want and pursue the presence of God in our life. And we treat the presence of God casually, we lose the presence of God. But I'm telling you, God wants us to be people that pursue his presence and make it a priority in our life. And where I wanna go today is I wanna talk about not just the presence, I wanna talk about the power of the box. Everybody say the power. That there is power in who God is to change and transform lives. Just give away early. How can people experience life change? In the presence and the power of a God who's able to change the people he's created and create us to be the people he's called us to be. Come on, somebody. So watch this. If you have your Bible, you can turn. We're going to pick up where the story left off last week in 1 Samuel chapter 5. If you remember the, the nation of the Philistines, they not only beat the nation of Israel, but then they took the box. I mean, how insulting is that? They beat them up and then they took the box. They took the Ark of the Covenant away from the nation of Israel, which was, an, which was a national shame, by the way. In 1 Samuel chapter 5, this is where the story picks up. It says, after the Philistines captured the Ark of God, they took it from the battleground of Ebenezer to the town of Ashdod. Everybody read this, all of our campuses. They carried the Ark of God into the temple. Do we need to do a literary class first? Let's read this <laughs> together, every voice, every campus. Come on, verse two. They carried the Ark of God into the temple of Dagon and placed it beside an idol of Dagon. Now, this is so crazy. So this is what they do. They got the box. They beat up the Philistines. They took their goods. They have this box and they take it just the same way the nation of Israel had a temple where they worshiped the God Jehovah. The nation of the Philistines, they had a God they served too, the God Dagon. Now, they weren't monotheists, which means they didn't worship one God. The nation of the Philistines were polytheists, which means they worshiped multiple gods, hundreds of gods, but one of the central gods that they worshiped was this, was this god, Dagon. And so they had this temple, this place where they would go worship Dagon, and they had this statue. Now, just real quick, not really helpful information, but just so you know, the god Dagon was half fish and half man. Like, think of, you know, think of like a merman. And so that was this God, Dagon. So they got the box and they take this box back to the temple of Dagon and they stick the box next to this idol of Dagon. And the question is, why in the world would they do that? I'm glad you asked. 
The reason they did that, I think, is one of two reasons. Either they were treating the box as a talisman or a trophy. As a talisman or a trophy. A talisman is something that people still have today. A talisman is an object that people look at and think the, the, the item or the object just has this like power that exudes from it. Like if I have the box, if I have modern day Christian, if I carried the gold cross, like somehow I'm, I'm invincible if I have a gold cross on my neck. Like that's putting power in an object. Are y'all tracking me? So they thought like they had heard all the stories, how the nation of Israel had stomped on all their enemies and they always had the box. So they thought if we can get the box, we can have the power they have. And so what they did was they took the box and they set it next. It's kind of this idea two for one. Let me put it in modern terms. All my Marvel fans. It was like Thanos got another infinity stone. Are we tracking? Like they had Dagon. Dagon obviously did something for us because we kicked the Israelites butt because Dagon was on our side. Now we got the Yahweh box. We have their box. So two for one, baby. So they put two icons, two idols, two talismen in one temple. You might say, what does that have to do with me? Well, I think at the end of the day, I think all of us are much like the Philistines. Like we just treat God as an add-on. Like we have our thing, the thing we're doing, the way we're living, the way we're behaving. And then we come into a relationship with Jesus and Jesus just becomes an add-on. And like we keep doing a lot of stuff that we've always been doing, but just Sunday morning looks a little bit different because now is Sunday morning. Jesus is our side hustle, right? And I just want you to know something. God never intended to be a side hustle to anybody. What God wants for us is that when we step into a relationship with Jesus, his goal in his heart is to begin to transform us from the inside out, which means we begin to think a little bit different and we start to behave a little bit different and we start to look a little bit different because God begins to change us. The Bible says it this way, that anybody who is in Christ, you're a brand new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. Come on, somebody. So if you're taking notes, God's place, watch this, God's place in our life isn't as a reinforcement. Come on, it's a replacement. God doesn't want to just reinforce who you used to be. God wants to replace some stuff in your life. And so the nation of the Philistines, all they was doing was like, well, we got the God of Dagon. Now we got the God box too. It's God's like just an add-on. Now, here's why that's important, because at the end of the day, I just don't think we can just continue to go through life and treat God. And it's important to say it this way. Uh, God is not a good, good luck charm on the keychain of life. Like we just have all our, and then like God's just an add-on. If you're going to access God's hand, first you have to go through God's heart. If you want to access his resources, it's going to take a relationship. Now, I think all of us at all of our campuses, we can admit that's not new information. Every relationship operates that way. If you're in a relationship with somebody, you can access who they are and what they have that other people don't have access to. I can access stuff in my wife and she can access stuff in me because we have a level of relationship nobody else has. <laughs> Come on, y'all. Listen, men, newsflash. If you want to get to the goods, you got to go through the heart. I wish some wives would help me. I'm trying to help you. Come on, go ahead, Pastor. I mean, that's how it works. If you want to get to the happy place, you got to go through the heart. Men, it's the other place. You want to go through the heart, you get to the happy place. Come on, that's how it works. But I want you to hear this. Every relationship operates this way. For some reason, we come into a relationship with God and we think God is there just to help us and do for us and bless us and change. And I'm just telling you, something has to flip that if you want to access the hand of God, you got to go through the heart of God, which means you have to have a relationship with God. 
Some of you guys have heard me say a couple times from this platform, I hate moving. I hate helping people move. If we never packed another box, I never stuck it on another trailer, and we ever moved, I would be incredibly happy and thankful. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> now, just play along with me. Imagine. Now, when my phone rings, and I don't know who it is, I don't know about the rest of you, but that's going to voicemail. But just play along. Let's pretend my phone rings. This is going to be a pretty outrageous illustration, but just go along with it. Imagine my phone rings, and I see it. I don't recognize the number, but I go ahead and answer it anyways. Hello. And this person I've never met before calls me, says, hey, you don't know me, but I'm getting ready to move, and I have a house full of heavy objects, dressers and such, and I'm just looking for 10 random people that will come to my, help, come to my house and help me move. Now, I'm just going to tell you, I might give this guy the number to two guys in a truck, but I'm not going to his house to help move. Do you know why? Because I don't know you. And if you want me to have, if you want to have my back, you got to have my back. Come on, are y'all tracking with me? Like, I probably won't even go to my friend's house and help him move. I sure as heck ain't going to a person I don't even, now some of you are like, some of you get all spirit. It could be a divine appointment. Well, let the divine be in the appointment. Come on. <laughs> Are you like, why? If someone, if someone I don't know comes and wants to borrow money from me, if I don't know you, you're not getting the money. Relationship has its benefits. What I'm trying to tell you is when we come into a relationship with the God of all creation, we step into an access, into an ability that where God can show up and change lives. But as long as we treat God as an add-on, I'm going to continue to have my Dagon life, but I'm going to do a Sunday hustle of my Jesus life. I'm just telling you, that's not a relationship. We are treating God as a talisman and a good luck charm, and we're just not going to experience God that way. Newsflash, I'm going to say this, and I'm going to say it again, and you might have to go back and listen to it again, but this is so important. God doesn't bless his people with his power. God blesses his purpose with his power. And if we will align ourselves with his purpose, that's where we experience his power. Let me say it again. God doesn't bless his people with his power. God blesses his purpose with his power. And when we align ourselves with his purpose, that's where we experience his power, which means as long as you're inviting God to come over here, God, come to what I'm doing and help me with my thing, you will not experience the power of God. But when you come surrender and say, God, there's some stuff in my life, some stuff in my mind, some stuff in my home, some stuff in my marriage. God, I want what you have for me. I'm going to align myself with your purpose. You will experience the power of God changing you from the inside out. Come on, somebody. Now, let me just give you a couple of illustrations that might offend you, but that's part of my job. If you're living with somebody you're not married to, I'm just going to tell you, I don't care who it is, neighbors, friends, family members, move-in partners, marriage people, every relationship has tension. That's the nature of relationship. Two people in close context, you will have tension. But if you're living with somebody, and I know that's popular in culture, it's just not popular in scripture. And no shame in that. If you're here and that's where you are, God wants to move you and grow you in faith. But if you're in a tense relationship and you're living with somebody you're not married to, I believe it is a fruitless prayer to pray, God, help this relationship. Do you know why? Because God isn't going to put his power where his purpose doesn't go. 
And God's purpose when it comes to relationship is threefold. I hope this, this will help some of you. If you're in a season of singleness, which your season is like, I'm just, I want to be married. I want to be with somebody, but I can't find them right now. Or maybe you feel like you're called to be single forever. I believe God will honor that. I believe God will give you grace in the season of singleness to be single, be okay being single. Quit allowing people to look down at you because you're single. I believe God will bless you with the grace to stay single in that season. The second thing is if you're single, but you don't want to be single, I believe with all of my heart where God will put his power is God will bless you to find the right partner. If you'll be patient, if you'll look in the right places and put yourself in the right place, and if you'll prepare to be the partner you're looking for, I believe God will put his power and God will bring a partner in your life who will love you, respect you, and you can have a lifelong marriage. Come on, does anybody believe that's true? Number three, number three, I already told you every, every relationship has tension, which means if you're here and you are married, where I believe God will put his power, if you're struggling in your marriage, I believe God can restore hearts and change lives. Let me tell you what our God is really good at. The God we serve is really good at restoring broken relationships. And if God can restore this relationship, he can restore any relationship this way. And so what I'm telling you is when we align ourselves, God, if I'm in a season of singleness, you're going to put your power there. If I'm in a season where I'm looking for a spouse, you're going to put your power here. If I'm in a season where I'm struggling with my spouse, God, you're going to put, put your power here. But God will not put his power outside of his purpose. But if we put ourselves in his purpose, we can experience the power of God that can change lives. How many people know that's true? Let me give you a second one. I think another place, again, where we make the mistake of asking God, like, be the add-on, come bless what I'm doing instead of allowing me to be a part of what you're doing is sometimes with businesses. Now, if you're in this room or you're one of our campuses and you're a part of a business or you're part of a career path or part of a thing where you're doing things unethically, like you're, you know it's unethical, you're trying to fudge lines or bottom lines or trying to take advantage of people and things aren't adding up the way you hope and so you pray your prayer, God bless this business, that is a business God will not bless. God will not put his power outside of his purpose. However, if you'll say, God, I've been trying to earn money and it's not really ethical and it doesn't really honor you, but God, I'm willing to take a lower pay and be a part of something that's ethical. God will put his power there. I believe God can transform a home and finances upside down because God puts his power where his purpose is. Y'all track with me. So when we treat God like a talisman or a good luck charm on the key ring of life, I'm just telling you, we're acting just like the Philistines. And maybe it wasn't a talisman, maybe it was a trophy. Some people believe that the reason the Philistines took the box and put it in the temple of Dagon was kind of like the belt. Ding, 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 ding. Like the champion of the world, Dagon. Like this is your belt. This is your, like you earned this. Well, let's check and see how that went for him. This, this is one of the craziest stories in scripture. I love it. So imagine temple. There's this, we don't know how tall it is. There's some debate, archaeological debate. What is land at the 15 foot? There's a 15 foot statue of a merman, the god Dagon. And then there's a four by two by two gold box sitting next to it. Watch this. First Samuel chapter five, verse three and verse four. It says, but when the citizens of Ashdod went to see it the next morning, no, stop. This news had gotten out that the Philistines not only kicked Israel, but but they brought the box back. The box was, was internationally known. People knew about the box. The box, the box brings victory. The box is this box of power and we have it. So it wasn't just the priest who led the temple of Dagon, like all the surrounding citizens wanted to come out and check out the box. Let's see the prize that our God Dagon has won. And so all these citizens come from near and far. But when the citizens of Ashdod went to see it, 
the next morning, watch this, everybody read this with me, all of our campuses, Dagon had fallen with his face to the ground in front of the ark of the Lord. You don't have to clap. I'm just going to go ahead and clap for that. You say, what are we clapping for? If you don't know, you're about to find out. I'm just telling you, like everything bows in the presence of the God we serve. The Bible says every, every, every knee will bow and every tongue confess. Every, every tongue in heaven, every tongue on earth and every tongue, like near and far, doesn't matter who you are, white, black, red, doesn't matter what you look like, doesn't matter how much money you make, doesn't matter who you are, devils, angels, people, humanity, and everything we don't know that God created, it will all bow at the mighty name of Jesus because he is the one and only. Come on, somebody. And so Dagon, the God Dagon... It's, 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 it's not ironic. It's purpose that, that the God Dagon didn't just fall, but fell on its face at the feet of the box. It gets better. Watch this. So they took Dagon and put him in his place again. If you have to pick your God up, you need a new God. Just, right. I mean, that's a bumper sticker. I think maybe, I don't know. Verse four, this is so, I love this, this is so great. Imagine, imagine Dagon, imagine him as a, like an animate object. He can't move, but he can talk. He's like, no, don't pick me up again. Don't worry. So they picked, the, they picked Dagon up, put him back in his place. The box is still there. They come back 24 hours later, watch this. But the next morning, the same thing happened. Dagon had fallen face down before the ark of the Lord again. Everybody read this with me. This time, his head and his hands had broken off and were lying in the doorway. Only the trunk of his body was left intact. He's like, oh no, this is not working out at all. I asked the question, how do we experience life change? If you're missing the essence and the heartbeat of this story that happened 3,000 years ago is this is a clear picture of God declaring the supremacy of who he is. That I'm bigger, I'm better, I'm stronger than anybody, than anything. There is no God. There is no high like the most high. There is no one like the God we serve. He is supreme. He is omnipotent. He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. He's sovereign. He's in control. There is nothing God can't do. And even the God Dagon bows in his presence. So how do you experience life change? How can you change? How can you change habits? How can you switch? How can you grow? How can you navigate the complexities of life? Is putting yourself in a place where you can experience the power of God that can change any heart and any life. You say, how do you know? Because for the last 30 years, I have been changing and growing. I'm not who I used to be. As your pastor, I've seen some of you, many of you, grow and change. You're not who you used to be. Why? Not because we had the capacity and strength to change internally. It's because because externally, we bumped into a God who's bigger than we are, and we have changed and grown to be the people he's called us to be. Come on. I'm telling you, that can be your story, too. God can change you, heal you, help you grow. And so you got to ask the question. I think this is kind of ironic. If you're taking notes real quick, God's power is greater than any problem. God's power is greater. Whatever you fill in the blank, God's power is greater than any problem. It's not an accident that not only did Dagon fall on his face before the ark, a picture of bowing down, but... The second time, the story says that his, his hands and his head were broken off. Again, that's on purpose because the head represents wisdom and thinking and hands represent strength and ability. 
The head represents wisdom and thinking. The hands represent strength and ability. And what God is saying to all of you in this room is, maybe you got some thoughts that have been racing through your head. Maybe there's some things you think about you that you think far less of yourself than you should because of what somebody told you or what you believed or because you don't like what's in the mirror, because you don't look like everybody else on social media, because you're not in the place of life you thought you'd be at this stage in life. Maybe you're far behind and somehow you look and you hate what's in the mirror and that tape plays over and over and over and over and over in your head and you you just don't know how to break the cycle of shame. And some of you are on the flip side and you don't know how to break the cycle of arrogance and you're better than everybody. Nobody can touch you. Like you got your whole life together and that just plays and just, you just think the highest of yourself. What can break that? There's a God who can break the head off of your life and change the way you think. Not just break the head off, but he can break the hands off. If you're struggling with an addiction or a habit that feels like it's got a strong hold on you because it's a stronghold, I'm telling you, there's a God who can break the hands of that thing off of you. God can set lives free. His power changes everything. God's power is greater than any problem. And so changing. So I'm just here to tell you today that if you need life change, the God we serve, he's not just able to do it. He wants to do it, but he's not going to come and meet you where you are, but he invites you to come meet him where he is. And we say, God, I don't want to be that person. I don't want to continue to live that life. I want to be the person you created me to be. I want to be the person you called me to be. God says, when you put yourself in my purpose, doesn't mean you're perfect. When you put yourself in his purpose, he just starts to pour his power out. He just starts to pour his power. I believe as a church, pre-COVID for four years straight, one of the fastest, one of the 100 fastest growing churches in the nation we're going to get that award again this year. We've doubled over this last year. Most churches are about 50% of, about 40% of pre-COVID. We're about 80% of pre-COVID. So we're just growing again. I'm honored with God's. Listen, wait, 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 wait. I believe, I believe it's because we just don't want to do a show. I believe we want, we want God's purpose. God, we want life change. So we preach the gospel. We want practical, relevant preaching so people can walk out and know what to do. I just don't need information. I need application. We want, the pre- we, want to, we want to advance the kingdom through kingdom builders around the world. I believe God said, there's a house I can bless. I'm going to put my power there because they're walking in my purpose. If you want the power of God, put yourself in the purpose of God. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians 3.17, an incredible promise. I'd encourage you maybe to write it down. Think about it this week. Wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Can we say that together as one church, three campuses? Wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there is, one more time, wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, which means, God, I need to get where your spirit is. What does the box represent? The box represents his presence. We don't have a box anymore. You're the box. His presence is with us. But when you intentionally seek his presence, surrender to his presence, pursue his presence, wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Which means if you're struggling with addiction, you can come and you can experience freedom. If you're struggling with darkness and deception, Jesus can come and bring the freedom of revelation to know who you are and know who he is. Whatever your struggle is, whatever, and we all have them. I still got them. But I don't have as many as I used to have. And I'm not who I used to be. Not because I decided to change internally, but because God externally began to show up and change my life. And if he can do it for me, he can do it for you if we put ourselves in the purpose of God. God's working in people's lives is supernatural. It's not superstitious. Again, God's not this this icon or this lucky charm. It really is. It's supernatural. It's outside of us and it's bigger than us. And it's just putting your hope in a God 
who showed up through his son Jesus 2,000 years ago and demonstrated clearly through miracles and signs and wonders that he, who, he was who he said he was. And he came to do what he said he came to do. He started his miracle ministry this way. Jesus, at age 30, he stood up and he read an Old Testament prophecy. And he said this, he said, uh, he said the spirit of the Lord's upon me. Remember, wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. He said, the spirit of the Lord's upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor to set at liberty those who are captive, to bind up the brokenhearted, and to make sure the oppressed goes free. And everywhere Jesus went, because the presence was with him, blind eyes were open. People who are captive to demonic strongholds and to sicknesses, they were set free. So wherever the spirit of the Lord is, be a person who's pursuing his presence. Start every day. God, let me experience your presence today. You might be so new to faith, it's even uncomfortable praying that. If you'll say it, with the most sincere faith. I don't even know if I said it right, but God, help me show up. Help me to walk after you. I'm just telling you, God will fill in the gap of where you fall short and God will show up and God will change lives. If you need life change, you're in the right place, not because we're in a building, but because Jesus is here. Come on, somebody. So here's a, here's a problem. Is I think for a lot of us, You know, again, I think all of us recognize we need change, but you know who I recognize needs change more than me? Is you. Have you ever realized how easy it is to see where everybody else needs to change? Like, I mean, I'm pretty good, but my wife, I got a couple things. My kids, I got some stuff. People on my staff, we got 40 staff members. I got a list. You need to change and grow and you need to do different. A lot of, a lot of church members, a lot of y'all crazy. I got a list for you. Come on. Like, I have figured out where everybody else needs to change. Let me just tell you the problem with that. 2,000 years ago, Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, showed up to be the Savior of the world. For 1,000 years, about 1,500 years before that, prophets were prophesying and writing. And in Jesus, there were over 300 prophecies about who the Messiah would be, about things that he would say, and about things that he would do, which means the person who fulfills and fits the bill of being the Messiah has to fulfill the prophecies. By the way, there was over 300 prophecies spoken of which Jesus fulfilled them all. If you don't know how crazy that is, one mathematician said in order for one person to fulfill just 10 of the 300, just 10 of the 300 prophecies, the probability approaches impossibility. It would be just like a person taking a silver dollar and marking an X on it and dropping it in the state of Texas that is filled with silver dollars, three foot deep, and you get one chance to pull one coin out of one pile and you pulling the coin. That's the likelihood of one person fulfilling just 10 of, prophet, 10 of the prophecies. Jesus fulfilled all 300 prophecies. The question is, why didn't the religious leaders who knew the prophecies recognize the Messiah when he came? It's because they wanted a political and military Messiah to rescue them from the impression of Rome. And Jesus didn't come to fight the Romans and to change them. This is so important. I hope you all hear me. See, the problem is right now, I don't know if you're tracking with what's happening in the culture. Abortion is a, it's been a big conversation. If you don't know Faith Church, we are passionately pro-life. We are passionately pro-life, which means whether the baby is in the womb or outside of the womb, it is a baby made in the image of God, has life, and it is, a, it is God's opposed that we try to steal life and murder. But here's the thing, 
Like we need, we need to change them. We need to change the abortionists. We need to change the Democrats. And we need to change Putin. We need to change all these people. And I'm just telling you, Jesus came 2,000 years ago, and that's why the mili- or that's why the religious leaders of the day rejected Jesus is because Jesus. We want you to go change all of them. And Jesus said, "I didn't come to change them. I came to change you." And we will never experience life change as a culture until we're the first volunteer. Because if God can change one person in a subdivision, he can change a subdivision. And if he can change a subdivision, he can change a neighborhood. If he can change a neighborhood, he can change a city. If he can change a city, he can change a state. If he can change a state, he can change a nation. If he can change a nation, he can change the world. But it starts with one, which means let's quit saying, God, go change them. And God, here I am. Come change me. How do I experience life change? How do you experience life change? It's not just new information. It's not just application. Because if it was only those two, you would have did that by now. It's to recognize, God, there's some stuff in me I can't change. There's some things in me I can't fix. But I recognize there's one who can. Life change happens when we put ourselves in the presence of God's purpose. I want to read just one more scripture. It's kind of, kind of cool the way this whole, thir- whole thing ends. Verse five, so right, the thing, the God Dagon falls the second time, the hands break off, the head breaks off. Verse five, it says this. It says, that is why to this day, neither the priests of Dagon nor anyone who enters the temple of Dagon in Ashdod will step on its threshold. None of the pride doesn't mean anything. Let me explain it. So from the time this event happened until the time it was written and recorded in that time space, they'd come up with this... Um, they come up with this superstition. Anybody remember this superstition as a kid? Step on a crack and you... Isn't that crazy? Anybody remember back in the day, you'd be like... Unless you, your mom wasn't so nice that day, and you're like... Come on. And this is what it's saying. So they, imagine this. They put, they put the box, God's presence... In the presence of Dagon, their God falls and bows in the presence of the real God. The second day, they pick him up. He falls again. God is sending them a message. Hey, the God you're serving is the wrong God. You think they'd be like, we've been serving the wrong. We need to serve the God of the Israel. We need to turn our heart to Yahweh. Instead, all they did was come up with a superstition. Our experience should change our expression. When you show up in church, you show up in your devotion time, you show up in your prayer time, you got some worship music in your car and you experience the presence of, it should change your expression. It should change how you live. That doesn't mean we're all there. Faith is a journey. The Bible says we go from faith to faith. We move from glory to glory. The Bible describes our spiritual journey just like a, a child, like we're born as a child. And I don't know if you know this, but ch- children are clumsy and they make messes and they stink sometimes. So do young Christians. Don't feel bad if you're a young Christian. Feel bad if you're a young Christian, but you've been in the game for a while because you should grow up into young men and young women, which means you don't have it all together, but I'm growing, I'm moving, I'm changing. And at some point in our spirit, we become mature in the faith. The goal of Jesus, you know, the goal of Jesus is to make you perfect in Christ. Now you'll never experience it on this side, but you never stop trying with the grace of God. But we're in a journey and we're growing. How do I get from point A to point B? put myself in his purpose and I'll experience his power. I want us to stand to our feet at all of our campuses, Shoals and Lawrenceburg and Florence. We're going to sing a song. And if you're in this room, you're in one of our campuses and you say, Pastor Steve, man, there's a place in my life. There's some thoughts in my mind. There's some issues in my marriage and I need to change and I can't change myself or I would have.
If you're in this place and you say, man, I need to experience change. As we sing this song, it's really simple. The God we serve, he's a chain breaker. He breaks every chain. I want us just to lift our hands. Father, come on, every campus, everybody here. Father, we come in the name of Jesus. And Lord, we recognize there's things in us we can't change about us. But Lord, we declare there is one who can. There is no problem too big for you. There's no issue, no habit, no hurt, and no heartache. And so Lord, in the next few moments, have your way. As we put ourselves in the path of worship, God, come and put your power. And I pray change. I pray health. I pray growth. I pray strength. I pray grace over every person at every campus in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody who agreed said amen. Come on, let's sing this with all of our hearts.